Well, as is my want, I hope to review some. Uh, almost like getting the same message twice, but that's how I am. I don't know what it'll be like when I'm old and senile. <laughs> it's said of John, the apostle, church tradition records that John as an old man. And the, interestingly, the early Christians got fed up with him. He'd be carried in on his cot, you know, into meeting at the front as an apostle. And he had the same sermon week by week. Little children love one another. Ironically, they needed it because they were irritated that he was always bringing the same message. Uh, So, history tells us it's believable enough. Um, I take everything as maybe it's not 100% except the Bible, which I trust completely. But there it is, and I'm liable to, if I'm repeating myself when I've got a good memory, imagine when it's gone, you know, just get the same thing. I hope this, uh, this morning to, to finish with some focus and then look more in depth next time on the last two verses. The Holy Spirit, uh, as Paul here writes about. But let us, let us uh, refresh our minds and look at the, the passage. Um, you know, Paul introduces himself as an apostle. We've talked about the fact that these the um, Colossian and Ephesian letters were written at a place in Paul's life where he was writing letters to churches and expecting them to be uh, copied and distributed. And he writes more generically to the Ephesians, not in a personal, intimate way as he would with other churches. Uh, we, we looked at the default, the default from God. Grace to you, even to the um, the Galatians, yes, Um, but the Corinthians are whom thinking. That carnal congregation with so much wrong, and the first thing God has to say to them is grace. And uh, that was genuine, it wasn't fake. That was the heart disposition of God and the apostle to brethren who were really out of order in so many things. And brethren, that needs to be our disposition toward every brother and sister. When you want to meet a brother or sister over anything, joyful or sad, um, praising or correcting, the thing that needs to be bubbling forth out of the heart is grace to you from God through one another. That's a thing. And so that's how he starts. It's not just a formality. He wasn't a fake. He wasn't a politician. He then goes into his next... um, Expression of praise. Blessed be God. He's eulogizing God. It's a bit like um, in, uh, I think it's Romans. No, it isn't Romans. Um, Romans is a different expression. Romans uh, 7, you know, wretched man that I am. But it's in writing to the Corinthians. And he talks about the grace here and, you know, through the giving. and Thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. It just bursts out, you know, a bit of a hallelujah on the pen. And then he carries back on with this letter. You know, thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. Here he, he gets his introduction and he's so brimming with his subject. Blessed be God. <laughs> Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We, we looked at that a, a little bit. You know, in Deuteronomy, um, blessed shalt thou be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the labor of thy hands. You know, Psalm 1, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
but these are spiritual blessings. Right? So as Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on your pronunciation, uh, hopefully one of those two is correct. But, you know, though the, the vine, you know, be, be withered and the, the, the um, flocks cast their young and basically everything goes to rack and ruin, nothing works, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is bringing us beyond Moses into spiritual blessings. And this is what Paul is talking about. In Romans 8, he will say, neither persecution nor distress nor nakedness nor peril nor sword nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Though our bodies be battered and bruised, though our work dry up, though we be taken out of our homes and put in these camps. More than conquerors through him that loved us. Right? Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Right? So spiritual blessings. And this is something to really get into our hearts. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Perhaps let's, let's look at, uh, at that a little bit. Uh, one of your favorite books of the Bible, Second Chronicles. Uh, I beg your pardon, First Chronicles. Uh, no doubt, famous favorite pa- um, portion or book of the Bible for, for all. Uh, I know the names are tiring for some. <laughs> chapter 4, this is a famous passage here, tucked in in the middle of nine chapters of names. Uh, verse, uh, verse 7, and the sons of Hela were Zareth and Jazor and Ethnan, and Koz begat Anub, and Zobiba, and the families of Aharel, the son of Haram. And breaking in the middle of nowhere, verse 9, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed. And enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Now, Jabez here is not, um, is not asking for several things. I mean, he is, but he isn't. Bless me indeed. And then he describes what he means. He doesn't mean, bless me and do this and do this and do this. This is what being blessed means to Jabez. Enlarge my coast, and uh, that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldst keep me from evil. So, he's referring back to Deuteronomy. And Jabez, I think, lived in the time of the Judges. Where it was a mixed bag. <laughs> um, they, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They were often being oppressed by Midianites and others. And, and Jabez called upon God. Oh bless me indeed. I know what Moses wrote. And I believe it's true. But look what's happening. People of God there. there. God bless me in reality. <laughs> Not just in title. In reality, Lord, you said, every place the sole of your foot shall tread, it shall be yours. 
Enlarge my coasts then, Lord. I don't want to just live in a little plot of land. Not like the tribes of Joseph that went complaining to Joshua and said, Hey, we need more land. And these guys are tough. They got chariots of iron. Joshua said, Go and drive them out, Lord. Then drive them out of my land. Bless me indeed. Let thy hand be with me so that what I do is successful. And keep me from evil. Primarily, he wasn't thinking about sin. Primarily, he was thinking about calamities, children dying, wives sick, you know, everything going to rack and ruin. But of course, he wouldn't have wanted sin either. Material blessings. God, give me a good lot. That's what he's saying. Um, <clears throat> but we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. And it has to, brethren, at least translate into something greater than this. The spiritual equivalent. Bless me, need enlarge my coasts. Just, just think with me for a little bit. We could jump ahead to, to Paul uh, in, in Ephesians, you know, um, that you might know the height and length and breadth and depth of the love of God. We're hearing a bit about the soul, the consciousness of the love of God. Enlarge my coasts. I don't want to just know that, yes, you love me enough that I'll go to heaven one day that I. When I die. But the love of God. Talk about experiencing it. Knowing it flooding through my soul. Thy love to me and my. Thy love in me and through me to everybody else. Bless me indeed God. So very far from. Oh, this person drives me to distraction. Oh God give me patience just to get through a day with this person. So very far from that. But filled with compassion. And kindness for people. Uh, irritating to the flesh. But you don't live in the flesh. You live in the spirit. right? Bless me indeed God. Fill me with that blessed Holy Ghost. That filled the Lord Jesus. Who was full of love even for his enemies. You see? It's got to answer. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Paul wrote to the Romans. I'm coming to you. And I'm sure that when I come. I'm coming in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. No sticks, sticks and stones might break my bones. But words can never harm me. You ever taught that as a little kid? Most of people find it's not true. It's the words people say that are the most cutting and destructive. But Paul by the spirit of God. Yeah you can, you can beat my body. And break it. But you can't stop me loving you. And I'm coming with the love of Jesus. And I'm coming to pour it out on all you brethren. And impart spiritual gifts beside. That's the thing. Blessed with all spiritual blessings. Now brethren. They're ours by title deed. And in, uh, in package form. In the sealing of the Holy Ghost. That we will I trust look at later. But you and I have to take hold. We have to possess. And Paul here having done that. Paul having prayed Jabez's prayer so to speak. And lived it and experienced it. God enlarged his coasts. Um, I know he bounced around a little bit. And anointed now. And boy he was a good arguer before. Now born again. Seeing Christ. He could beat all of his rabbis. I don't think any of them got converted. And they, Let's kill this guy. He's just beating us and get him out. And finally he's there. Um, at Tarsus for a while. And then back. Now with Barnabas and the church at Antioch. And years there ministering. And growing up into his calling. 
uh, and being fruitful, ministering, edifying the church, perhaps winning others to Christ there in the local congregation. The least of the teachers after some years of walking with Christ. And then God calls him and Barnabas to go on mission and enlarged his coast. Giving him, um, enabling him to win many to Christ as an ambassador for Jesus. Enlarged his coast, right? So much so that he would write, I didn't go where Christ was named. (sighs) Wanted to have fruit. And then he would write to the Romans, I desire fruit among you as among other Gentiles. Now he's ready to go where Christ is named. He's saturated region, larger than, uh, than the province of Ontario, I think, with the gospel of Christ. On foot, I might add. <clears throat> now I'm ready to go to Rome, preach the gospel to you there also. His coasts were enlarged. His, God's hand was with him. He said it to Elymas the sorcerer. Behold thou, that, you know, oh, full of all subtlety, thou child of the devil. Will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. Thou shalt be blind. God's hand was with him. Kept him from sinning. As he exclaimed at the end of Romans 7. Who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus. He found the victory. Uh, Blessed. And there he's writing. Having lived these things. Having. He's now in a Roman prison. Uh, remind me of my old uh, friend, David Weatherly. <laughs> I didn't get all the details from him later. He shared a story when, um, uh, in preaching. Uh, old friend. He died as an old man decades ago. And uh, <laughs> amazing man. And the memory of him is very edifying. But in his, in his younger years there, uh, born again, spirit-filled Christian, and... Uh, um, in the British Army, fighting against the um, the Germans in the Second World War, and the bombers, and he said, "I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn." He was on the anti-aircraft guns, you know, boom, 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 boom. And this is his story as he tells it, and he's there on the guns, and said, "The Holy Ghost said to me, get me out of here," and he walked off the guns. Not a place for a Christian, so they locked him up as a deserter. He didn't have an Anabaptist training that you don't go and shoot your enemies and so on. But he had the Holy Ghost as a teacher. And they locked him in a steel box with a one square foot hole with bars in it. You know, it's a deserter. And he said, I used to put my face up to there and preach the gospel unto them. He said, what a paradox. Me, free as a bird from sin, locked up behind bars, preaching to them who are free out there, bound in sin. And Paul was a free man. Ambassador for Jesus Christ in chains. Right? What a contradiction. The outward man, the most despised and beleaguered and battered and bruised. And the inward man, most glorious, powerful, ornate. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Remember? Bit of a review there. Um, We talked about uh, this. According as he has chosen us in him. Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. By Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. 
Um, and we, we looked, we spent a bit of time on the whole uh, conflict. I prefer balance between you know, Calvinism and Arminianism. Predestination versus man's free will. And I do believe, though I can learn much from theologians on either side that there is a balance that the truths don't oppose each other they balance each other God has given us enough assurance in scripture that we should never be in doubt or be insecure we should be thoroughly secure in Christ he's given us enough warning that we should never be complacent that we should uh, walk in the fear of God and here um, it seems to me that Paul's emphasis is not to outline a Calvinism whereby, you know, these people are chosen to be saved and no matter what happens they will be and these are chosen to be damned and no matter what happens they will be all for the glory of God. Very far from espousing that, Paul's point is to say God had plans for you in love before you were even born. Right from the very start. God was never caught by surprise. He's been working to an eternal plan. That's Paul's point here. Um, and <laughs> I don't think he had any intention of getting into a Calvinist versus Arminian debate. And I certainly don't. Uh, <clears throat> let's look at a couple of those uh, passages that uh, the, the prophets capture that show some of God's, um, God's plan here in, in that spirit. We could look at uh, Jeremiah 29. <clears throat> Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. This kind of weaves the blessing and the foreknowledge together. These, these were written to people who were sinning and God was pronouncing judgment upon them. And God is revealing, I'm, I'm working to a plan. I know what's in my mind. Blessing, you see. In, um, in chapter 31 of the same book. Verse 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The kinds of thing Paul's getting at. It was in God's heart of love, right from the start, that you should be his and know the love of Christ. Isaiah chapter 43 Uh, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee O Jacob and he that formed thee O Israel fear not for I have redeemed thee I have called thee by thy name thou art mine when thou passest through the waters I will be with thee and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee when thou walkest through the fire thou shalt not be burned Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. And he goes on. We could now read the whole passage and, and um, preach a sermon on that. Study it together. I invite you to look at it at your leisure. The love of God 
for his people, planned. And this is, uh, I believe, what the apostle is more after, having predestinated us, right? God, who is rich in mercy, it says in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he takes the same theme. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. This is what the apostle is getting at. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Predestinated us unto the adoption of children. To him, by Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Right? This is in God's heart that we should be holy. Separated from sin and uncleanness. And without blame before him in love. Brethren, we better not, we must not, we cannot get away from the love of God. Not only his love for us in plan of redemption, but in our hearts, the knowledge of his love for us, to us, and our love, him, for one another, and for all men, even our enemies. This, brethren, without this there is no Christianity. It is not a cold doctrine of legal redemption. The love of God is in, indivisibly, inextricably. It's, it's, it, you can't take it out. It's completely wound up in the gospel. There is no gospel remo- void of the love of God. And there is no Christian without the love of God. Let's be clear on that. Um, I remember uh, my friend, good friend, Pat, when we were both young and we were learning, you know, various Christian cliches. I remember him saying to the pastor then, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And the pastor said back, a prayerless Christian is not a Christian. Well, hmm, certainly a loveless Christian is not a Christian. Prayer is essential, but all the praying without love is of no consequence. God for his great love wherewith he loved us. And to, to the praise of the glory of his grace. While we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Praise him. What grace. Right. That's what he's saying. He's not just writing. You know. Systematic theology. In, in, in high convoluted language. He's just jumping. Except for the chains. His spirit was. Made us accepted in the beloved. Who's that? That's Jesus. How do we know that? Verse 7. In whom? Who's, who's the whom? The beloved. <laughs> we have redemption through his blood. This is Jesus. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redemption. It's interesting looking that up again in the dictionary. The first definition is a Christian definition. The loosing from sins through the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's the first definition. I tell you you have a good dictionary when it's where it starts, right? Not coupons for, you know, a toaster or something. Redeeming. The second definition is the legal term, right? Loosing a slave or a captive by paying the price. That's where it would be having its application. Redemption, right? Think of the firstborn under the law. The firstborn son had to be redeemed. You're not going to offer him as a sacrifice to God. You had to pay a price. Um, 
and he was redeemed from 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 death. Um, similar with your firstborn ox or cattle, that was to be offered as a sacrifice. And if you were to redeem it, you had your offering. There was redemption. If you had someone, a, a relative that was sold into slavery, he'd gotten himself so poor he couldn't afford to eat, he was going to starve to death, and he sells himself as a slave to some man. Uh, so that this man would feed him and clothe him and he would work for that man and do that man's bidding but at least he would live. He's sold as a slave and you as his relative could come now and redeem him and pay the price to the slave owner. And now he would be a free man at your redemption. All of this and more Jesus did for us, brethren. Our father, Adam, sold us into sin. We ourselves jumped into it Willingly, when we had a will of our own. The will seems to be formed before the intellect. And any parent that's raised a child past the age of three knows it. The will to defy the the parent that has loved and nurtured this child. Sorry, some of you young parents are going to find this out. Finding it out already? Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't take long, does it? Can't even form a sentence, but they can exert their self-will against yours. Sinners by disposition and sinners by choice. And it is on such a people. Romans, Paul describes, knowing the judgment of God, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I remember some of the sins of my youth. I won't tell you about them. I could think, well, I didn't know better, but I did. That's why you'd run when someone that would get you in trouble came. That's when you'd hide. You knew you're doing wrong. You don't hide when you're doing right. Sinners by nature, by disposition, by birth, and sinners by choice. And it was on such that God looked with compassion. So I'm going to go and redeem them from sin. Some, um, you know, we live in an age of polemics, right? Where that's uh, the controversy and attack on a particular subject, in in most cases on religion. And the Christian religion comes in for the biggest attack. Not exclusively. They're atheists, they'll attack um, Islam, uh, any religion. they, They attack... They attack the, the faith saying, you know, God didn't need a sacrifice for sins. He can just forgive. Jesus didn't have to die for sins. I don't need someone to die for sins. I just forgive my child. I can just forgive people. And so they, they reject the need for Christ to die for sins. Well, leave that dispute aside. <clears throat> Apart from the biblical revelation, I don't know how you would... Um, really press that point. But I'll say this. Jesus did more than that. Jesus broke the chains that enslave a man to his actual sins. And for that he did have to die. He took them away. (laughs) And the proof of that is your own religion that can't actually break those chains. No matter how good of a show you can put on the outside. And how sincere you might be on the inside. You know the thoughts that come in your heart when this happens and that happens. You know you're a slave to sin. And Jesus died to set you free from it. And I can say that. That's a thing. (laughs) 
For that, there was no other mechanism possible. He had to die. He had to. He wasn't. He wasn't just the innocent suffering for the guilty in an abstract exchange. He was a lamb that all of the sins of the guilty were placed on him and he accepted them as his own and went to the slaughter. Not only as a punishment, the innocent for the guilty, but to carry those sins away. Imagine if we had a whole lot of poison or, you know, big thing today is explosions. People are worried about nuclear war with Russia. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Trust in the Lord. Let the world be in anxiety. God will shake the heavens and the earth, but Christ will not be shaken. But imagine all of these, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, these bomb threats that you hear about, explosives, poisons, anything nasty, even a dead skunk, whatever it is. And you want all that placed on something and taken away so that it can be a clean and safe place. Jesus did that with sin. He was a propitiation. He dealt with the wrath and all of the legal issues. And theologians and skeptics can debate the necessity of that. They can argue about whether God needed to do that or not till the cows come home. But the fact that nobody can dispute is that all of that human nastiness that's in people's hearts, minds, souls, bodies needs to be put on something and taken out of here. Amen. And Jesus did that on the cross. And he brings the reality of it into every human being that will believe the gospel. Christ crucified for sins. And he's offering to you, whoever you are, complete forgiveness and deliverance from its tyranny and its torment. Deliverance from the guilt that destroys people, drives them mad. People say, you know, need to forgive yourself themselves. They need to receive God's forgiveness. That's who sin is against. And not only the forgiveness, but the, 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 the bondage that makes you keep going and doing it again. Jesus sets you free. This he did. The riches of his grace. We have redemption. You know, I'll, I'll be alright if everyone wanted to just jump up and shout, Hallelujah! As Paul, Paul did. But I realize we're, that's not our culture, is it? I think if we were an African church, they might, we might have to have a 5 or 10 or 20 minute pause and some dancing and shouting and singing. But we can carry on. Through the riches of his grace. Wherein he had abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He's coming, Paul's coming to this point. Now having made known unto us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. And remember this is all about the Jews. And then he tells us at the end the new Gentiles are brought in. Who first trusted in Christ. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. God's been working to a plan all through human history. And to this very day he's working to a plan. uh, That in the dispensation of the fullness of times. He might gather together in one. All things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Even in him. And I realize that some view this passage differently. But I do believe That he's talking about the culmination of all things. Those that have 
um, died and been received as Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The angelic hosts, things that are in heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, and things that are on earth, the Christians, the disciples of Jesus. Now he's going to gather them all together. He's going to bring the whole family, as he'll say later on in Ephesians, the whole family in heaven and earth. One, and this is a precursor here, Paul's writing, when he's, remember, he's coming to this whole point that God is making Jew and Gentile into one body here on the earth. Before he introduces that, he's saying heaven and earth are joined. It's going to be one. There's no division in Christ. Later in chapter um, 4, I think it is. Is that right? Yes. He, he lays out the ministry. One body, one Lord, one faith. Right. One baptism. Um, I think there's a... No, for the perfecting of the saints. I think that one baptism is in another passage. But it, it's a parallel passage in another epistle. Parallel thought. Uh, The perfecting of the saints. All these gifts. Uh, Working towards that. He's setting us up here. He's revealed his will. And in this chapter he lays out the foundation that God has been working on a plan. Gathering together. All in Christ. And we're a part of it. Verse 11 he's saying. Uh verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also. And so, brethren, that um, verse 13 means that we are included in everything that he writes there. Remember we talked about Paul and the blessing and Jabez? It's you. You and I can go, we talked about neighbors. We all have things and people on our hearts, Right? Situations. You and I can go as being blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ and pray and pray earnestly. And may I say this, my brother and sister, if the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who could say when he is about to raise a man from the dead, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast heard me. And I knew, Father, that thou hearest me always, but for the sake of those that stand by, I said it. And he would say, Lazarus, come forth. This privilege, this firstborn, this one whom can command heaven and earth at his will, who would say to the storm, peace, be still. Who would say to devils, out. This one, when faced with a struggle and a crisis, There so prayed earnestly that great drops of blood fell. If the Lord Jesus, when confronted with trial, with temptation, with the onslaughts of Satan, with an exceedingly unspeakably difficult task and decision, would have to struggle in prayer, let us not shirk and shy away from sometimes having to struggle in prayer and to press through And to be poured out even if it feels like anguish. Let us not be lazy wimps in respect to prayer. Can I say that in love? Can I offer that exhortation? That sometimes it might. Notwithstanding that we are heirs. And it's far from presumption. We would be terrified. Consider ourselves beyond unworthy. And yet we've been told that we have access to the throne of God. And can come as children of the king and make bold requests and yet sometimes it requires earnest 
as a pauper petitioning, persevering prayer. Mm. We have such. And <laughs> however, whether it's an easy, Lord, would you please do this? And he does it. Or it's an anguished soul. Nonetheless, we can pray concerning people at work. We can pray concerning um, uh, neighbors. We can pray concerning erring and strained loved ones. And expect God will do more than we can ask or think. I think we mentioned Abraham not so long ago. Praying for Lot. He wasn't concerned about Sodom really. Not that he didn't care. But he couldn't carry the whole world. Abram stood before the Lord. Knowing that Lot was going to be wiped out. And he, he thought 50. You know he's plea bargaining with God. And he, he pushed it as far as he could go. And he stopped at 10 hoping that Lot could have at least persuaded. Between his own family and so on. That Lot could have been responsible. There would be 10 righteous in Sodom. And the Lord hears him and goes. And Abram's up early to see if his prayers were answered. All he sees is smoke. But God heard his prayer and saved Lot. And he'll hear your prayer and save who you're praying for. If you pray with that same spirit that Jesus prayed. Though he bear long, brethren let us not faint. You're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. And you and I can act like it. And go and claim our birthright. Give me this one. Lord, give me that one. Let me see them worshiping Jesus. Let me see them, Lord, praising you and walking clean, redeemed in thy sight. <clears throat> We've obtained an inheritance. And he said, predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. It's sure. It's not some happenstance. That's the point. Obtained an inheritance. What's that inheritance for us? Ultimately. And that's what he's going into verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> We've obtained an inheritance. He's going to uh, touch on that. That we should be to the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. What's that gospel? It's very simple. Christ died for our sins. And he was buried and he rose again. For our justification. Right? Paul goes over it clearly in talking about the resurrection. Introducing his subject of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Interesting. Has Paul received that after he Seeing the Lord on the road to Damascus. Possibly after he'd received the Holy Ghost. He was praying. 
Ananias comes in and says, what are you waiting on? Get up, get baptized. Puts his hand on him. And he receives the Holy Ghost. His eyes are open. He gets baptized. But nonetheless, he received this gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. When you heard that Christ died for your sins, you believed on him. You also trusted that that offering was complete and was effective for you. This is what he's saying to the Ephesian Christians. You believe with all your heart, yes, Jesus died for my sins. And I'm confident in that. I'm trusting in that. I'm turning from my sins and I'm believing on him. Completely justified in him. You also trusted. And God seeing that faith as he did with Abraham. Counted it unto you for righteousness. And sealed you. He's talking about those those are born again here. With that Holy Spirit of promise. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Unto the praise of his glory. So there's a few statements there. For us to unpack as well. Right. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> after you believed, and by the way, a, a millisecond is after. He's not teaching a doctrine whereby, you know, you have to get saved here and then you go through a probation period and then you receive the Holy Ghost there. I mean, for some people it does happen like that, but that's not normal. It's not meant to be that way. It's meant to be like with Cornelius. Right? That's really the model. That's the model that is the norm <clears throat> um, in the gospel era. When all the transitional states were, were done. Um, where Cornelius is there and he's you know, seeking God. And uh, he's listening to the gospel. And as it's presented to him that Christ died for sins. He believes that with his heart. And God seals him with the Holy Ghost right then and there doesn't mean that that word after doesn't mean a long time it just means the sequence like christ died for your sins and that's how you're saved one precedes the other uh, in in outworking and so after you heard the word of truth in whom after you believed you were sealed with that holy spirit of promise and that is the seal that a person properly believes now some I've heard uh, I heard once and we don't need to go there because it's it's just wrong they think that um, you're sealed with the spirit that makes promises you know the Holy Spirit's a promising spirit and I think that's just no it's you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit that's what the language refers to there Uh, Paul writes this uh, to the Galatians in uh, chapter uh, 3. Where are we at? Yes, uh, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. As it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. 
that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And to, to be clearer still, or to underline it, let's go into Acts chapter 2. Work our way backwards till we get into the, the Old Testament passages that are the easiest uh, to identify. Acts chapter uh, <clears throat> 2, verse, um, verse 33, Peter finishing up his, his sermon about Jesus, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. He goes on, David's not resurrected, but Christ is, both Lord and Christ, verse 36. The people are pricked and they respond, what shall we do? <clears throat> Peter says, repent, verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. What's the promise? The promise is what he started with in, um, in chapter 2. Peter st- in verse 14, Peter standing up with the eleven, lift up his voice. These are not drunk. This is that which was spoken by the, promise, by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. That's a promise of God. Peter quoted that promise of God, calls him to repentance, and says that promise is for you. Right? And Paul writes to the Ephesians, says that was for us who first trusted in Christ, now it's for you Gentiles who also believe. Promise that you should have the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, in in Joel chapter 2, we see that. I mean, the Lord, just before we turn there, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he had told them, Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. And he tells them, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Joel chapter 2. And... I'm going to do the, the best I can, not in terms of time, but in terms of accuracy. Because we, you can preach a long time on any of these subjects. Joel chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 28, right? So these are messianic passages. So he's saying this and this, and it shall come to pass afterward. And that's known, and that specific phrase afterward is the, um, the days of Messiah. Um, Luke quoting, I believe, the, um, the Septuagint, which interprets it for the Gentile audience, the last days. Shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out, of my, pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Now that's a promise. And, and this, this is very clear, brethren. Storm was talking about experience. And this, you know, this is quite localized here, quite uh, specific. Um, as elders, there was... Discussion periodically. I'm doing for time uh, about you know why aren't there more why aren't there manifestations of the 
gifts of the Spirit among us, what the Baptists might call the sign gifts, prophecy, tongues, and so on. It's not that there were no gifts. Gifts of healing have been manifested uh, through laying uh, anointing with oil and so on. And my best understanding is not because those gifts passed with the apostolic age. It's because we live in a climate of unbelief. And that unbelief has, you know, it's, it's the background from which we all come. And it is, it's hindering. The Corinthians had a strong belief in the supernatural. Um, there's some talk about the oracle of Delphi. You can read the history a bit. But it's clear, Paul said, you come behind in no gift. And they clearly didn't. Uh, <clears throat> they had all of the spiritual gifts there. And they were fluent in them. They lacked love. The sign gifts are not the be-all and the end-all. But when they're needed, we want God to be able to bring them forth. And we should pray to that end. <clears throat> the thing, though, here in Joel, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. We won't for the sake of time. You remember Dathan and, Dathan and Abihu, I think. Um, hmm. Were they the ones that were? Eldad and Medad were prophesying in the camp, right? Dathan and Abihu were compatriots with Korah and they'd perish. Eldad and Medad were among the 70 that were chosen. They didn't come out of the camp and so they were prophesying in the camp when God gave his spirit to the 70 elders. We all remember that story? And Joshua saying like, my Lord Moses, forbid them. And the best I can understand is Joshua thought that these two men were prophesying without Moses' supervision there. Then it would give them too much prestige and it would undermine Moses' leadership. And Joshua's like, we can't have this, you know. And Moses is like, you worried about me? I wish all of the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. And that has gone through with the people of God. This notion, you know, the psalmist would say, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit was taken from Saul and given to David. And this uh, uncertainty, and, and certainly the Holy Spirit wasn't for all. And now at this time in the history, God says, there's coming a day when every one of my people is going to have the Holy Spirit. That's a promise. To be taken hold of by faith along with all the promises of God. They work in them that believe. And the thing here, yes, um, and this is what is so dangerous about these things. Um, I'll tell you in a moment. You know, you're going to prophesy and dream and have visions. And that's real. And God means just what he says. The problem we face today in our luxurious, rich, um, prosperous Western nations is a people who are self-indulgent and carnal, uh, live carnal, eat carnal, listen to carnal music, dress carnal, um, have carnal emotions and attitudes, but are so jumped up and spiritual and they're sure that Jesus is talking to them all the time and giving them gifts and visions and they um, at best are the workings of their own hyper-imagination and uh, emotions. At worst, they're being misled by evil spirits. Not everyone, but those kinds of people so often. And not all of them. They jumped up. And they've got these ideas. I remember one lady. She, yeah, the Lord told me to dye my hair brown. She told me that. I knew this lady. I knew her well. 
And I thought to myself, why didn't the Lord tell you not to divorce your husband? I didn't say it because she was old enough to be my mother and I'm not going to reprove her. But, and she was beyond reproof anyway. But you see the problem. The problem is people now taking one passage are so jumping up. And I realize this isn't us here. But I want to underline a point because it does have application for us. They're neglectful of the Holy Scriptures. And this is something to point to, to observe. On the day of Pentecost, very few people had their own scriptures. The synagogue had a copy. We got, the, the Jews gathered together and it was read. The church, the Christians you know, who first believed, they were all Jews, they would go to the synagogue, listen to the scriptures being read, and then after the going down of the sun on the Sabbath, the church, the Christians would meet on the first day of the week or the beginning of the evening. So they all had the Holy Spirit but they didn't all have the scriptures. A church might get a copy and the church would meet. And they'd read the scriptures aloud. Paul wrote to Timothy, till I come, give attendance to reading. That wasn't Timothy's private reading. Paul had primarily in mind. It was read the scriptures in church, Timothy. Read the scriptures to the believers. And doctrine and teaching, right? And so, these were people now who did not have a Bible to read and study themselves. They would go to meeting and listen. And then they would go home and they would remember as much as they could during the day and through the week and pray. And God would supernaturally give them periodically visions or what have you as the time necessitated. They were faithful, believing, spirit filled. What we have today in so many places are people who are too lazy to read the Bible. Too presumptuous to think it's necessary for them to give themselves to it. And think that God is just speaking to them this way, that way, and the other way all the time. And they have many notions and ideas and leadings that are contrary to what God has already spoken to them in the scriptures. And so there is a necessity in our day to be looking much, much more for God to speak to us through the reading of his Bible. And to the preaching of it and to the expounding of it than to have private visions and revelations Though there is no biblical reason to think that day has stopped. Do you understand why that would be a difference in proportion? Through the providence of God we now all have our own Bible. We have much, much less need for visions and dreams and so on. Although when they are needed God should have a people among us that are believing enough that he can do them at any time. That I believe is a balanced approach. Um, and I don't see why God would be giving us those experiences if we are unfaithful with the very scriptures he's already blessed us with. Would you do that with your children? If you give your son, well, you can take, I didn't plan this, but anyway, I've got my son here. If you give your son a bicycle, and he drives like a crazy person, And he does all sorts of crazy things and wrecks his bicycle and wrecks himself. When he's 14 and 15, are you going to give him a car when he's 16? If he has no regard for the rules of the road when he's on a bicycle, are you going to let him behind the wheels of the family vehicle? Really? (laughs) All you youngsters take note. If we are... or, Or if you give him... Um, a tool that he wants. 
and he doesn't use it much and he's neglectful with it and leaves it out in the rain and that tool was, I don't know, 10, 20, 50 dollars and he has this love for this other occupation and the tool $500. If you see how he treats a $10 or $50 tool, you're going to buy him a $500 tool. The principle of being unfaithful with what you have will ensure that God doesn't give you more than what you have. That's all. That's all that point is. But this I will say, bringing us back to this scripture, is that he's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. And the minimum that should be happening there. And what is for every Christian is intimate communion with God. My spirit. And this, you know, the time would fail to go into Ezekiel 36 and 37. I'll put my spirit within you. Cause you to walk in my ways. We'll, we'll look um, next time. We'll trust, you know, at some of those passages we'll look in, in John where the Lord Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. That's the, uh, <clears throat> that's the minimum that the Christian should have. We should seek for more, um, but we need to show ourselves faithful with what we have already if we want more. Is that right? If you want, let's just, let's, I mean, I, I know I, I do um, whittle the bone till it's completely polished, you know, instead of just eating a bit and moving on. But let's look at this one last time there. If you want to understand some of the harder passages in the Bible, maybe, that you think the Revelation or some prophecies, who's going to give you that understanding? Isn't it ultimately the Spirit of God? But if you can't be bothered to really make sure you understand something like the Sermon on the Mount and give yourself to that, why would God give you understanding about revelation? You see my point? Just even let us be faithful with that which we have that God may give us more. But coming back to this, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This is for the believers. And every believer needs to make sure that he or she is sealed. <clears throat> Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Can't get away from praising the glory of God, Paul, can't. <clears throat> Taking the last first, the redemption of the purchased possession. That is when finally the resurrection, when this corruption was put on immortality, incorruption. When every eye shall see him, when, when there shall be a complete unveiling, when we shall, um, this robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise to gain the everlasting prize. Right? Not him. When that day comes, right, we are sealed. The believer that is born again is sealed with the Holy Spirit until that day. The day of the redemption uh, of the purchased possession. You and I are the purchased possession when, the, when we ever be with the Lord. When the Lord himself shall descend with the uh, trump of God, the voice of the archangel. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. 
the dead in Christ rising first, we're caught up with them. That's when um, that's all fulfilled. Until that day, the Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, indwelt. Clear on that? And that Holy Spirit that is promised there in Joel chapter 2, all flesh, that is all believers, not the murderers and the rapists and all of those evil people, but all that have trusted in Christ, everyone that trusts in Christ, God seals with the Holy Spirit, is the earnest of our inheritance. Now that has a legal term, right? It's a down payment on a house or um, you put a deposit on a car. And so that is a small amount or portion of the cost of an object that you're going to buy. That's one meaning. But there's another meaning that's very, very similar, and it's a smaller amount of the full thing. And that's very important to understand, because that is what we're talking about. So the Holy Spirit isn't kind of like, you know, a down payment of $2,000 on a $10,000 car, and here's a little bit of money, but the real thing is the car. So that the inheritance is going to be different, right, than the deposit. Deposit is money, inheritance be a car or a house. It's not that. This is a smaller amount, and you're going to have the full amount later. In other words, brother, sister, your reward is God. Not stuff. Not, you know, you name it. <laughs> I remember um, fellow coach since deceased and I, f- I failed really in how I, in what I said but I think I did my best at the time I was just nodding nodding off to sleep we were driving back from a fishing trip and um, I was tired you know I'm, you ought to get up early if you're going on a fishing trip we're coming back just thinking, well, I guess I'll catch a bit of a nap. Fellow coach, you know, invited us to go fishing. And just as I was thinking, well, Lord, what am I going to do with my witness to him? I'm going to sleep. What? And he says, Mr. V, what do you think heaven's like? That's a gift wrap witnessing opportunity, wouldn't you say? Well, I thought, well, that's pretty obvious what I should be doing now. And I don't think I did very well. I don't remember all I said. And this is kind of random, one of the things I do remember. I said, well, at some point I said, well, there won't be any cricket in heaven. We we're both cricket coaches, you know. People talk about doing things for the love of the game. It's like a religion. There's not going to be all of these things. Look at what God said to Abraham when he was still called Abram. And he, Abram had just finished delivering Lot from... Uh, you know, being carried away. Lot was always getting into problems. He thought he might have learned from that point that, hey, maybe I'm not in the right place. <laughs> you know, Jabez's prayer wasn't working for Lot. I know Jabez came afterwards. Carried away as a captive. Abraham arms his, or Abram at the time, arms his, his trained servants and goes after him, delivers Lot. Melchizedek meets him, I think. Yes, and blesses him. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I am thy reward, Abram. 
Abram says, uh, Lord God, what will thou give me? Seeing I go childless. And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And the Lord meets him where he's at. Abram didn't quite get it, it would seem. What will you give me? I just told you. I'm going to give you me. For people that are in love, that's a very easy thing to understand. Uh, who would you rather be with but that your beloved? But look there, even famous psalm, Psalm 16. <clears throat> believe so yeah, there it is thou wilt, verse 11 thou wilt show me the end of the psalm thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore isn't that so young man in love young woman in love the environment the location is not really the thing it's the spouse, it's the beloved, that's, that's the reward. It doesn't really matter whether we're at the Grand Canyon, which I've never been, so it's easy for me to say, I suppose, but a park, a walk, a drive, it doesn't really doesn't matter. I really don't, I mean, I wouldn't like to be in prison with, you know, pointy things being stuck into me. That kind of is a distraction. But just to be together, that's it. That's it. Uh, to hear her voice, to feel her touch, to see her smile. It's just, there's no greater joy in human experience. Sorry for you unmarried. You can just imagine, you know, who's it nicer to be with than dad and mom and your siblings, right? Family, together, being. And heaven, brother and sister, is going to be, if uh, this is why the Wesley hymn, you know, appoint my good, a drop my store, eager I ask and pant for more. What the, the joy of the Lord that you have now, the peace that you have now, the love that you have now is like a drop in the ocean. And when we see him, we're in the ocean. It's not going to be, oh, I'm going to have a glittery building and a, it's going to be something better than a car or a horse. I don't care at all about that. I'm going to be immersed in God. And if that is not a thrilling prospect for you, there's something wrong. You need to get right with him. You are lusting after other things, and you need to repent. Sorry to be so blunt and bold, but it's the truth. If the thought of just being in thy presence is fullness of joy, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. More than my wife and children. More than anything I could want or do. To be. This is it. We get a glimpse of it in the visions of the prophets. And they fell at his feet as dead. The glory was most indescribable. It was just like out of this world. Literally. And everything completely vanished from their thought and mind. Uh, that's... Um, the Holy Spirit is an earnest of God. And the reward for you is God. 
And we're going to look more into what it is to have the Holy Spirit and what he does. Perhaps our next time as we park a bit on this passage. Um, But this is a thing, brethren, so very far from teaching another great world religion, you know, as others are. We don't need to make mention of them. With sublime concepts and noble thoughts. We're talking about life. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life. And yes, the forgiveness of sins is wonderful, but it's to be, bring us into, it's to remove the barrier between the man and woman and his God, her God. It's to remove the barrier and to cleanse the heart so there can be this union of spirit indwelt by God. Hallelujah. This is the thing. It's not just a creed and and nice thoughts and happy songs. It's the very life of God dwelling in the human soul. This is the gospel. More than Adam who heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day is the Christian who hears the voice of God in his heart. Sealed. With that Holy Spirit of promise. This is the gospel. God and man. In oneness. right? Oh what fellowship is mine. Hallelujah. We'll stop there. We're over time. We could go on at this. Glorious uh, subject. And by God's grace we shall. Brethren let us. Leave aside. All vanity. And vain pursuit. Let us put aside the lust of other things. Let us go after Jesus. Who loved us. Gave himself for us. Blessed us with all spiritual blessings. I've set my love upon you he says. Draw me we will run after thee. Song of Solomon. A love story. But it really most reflects. God's love for his people. had in my mind we could close with a hymn but it just doesn't feel right I mean we can't go with feelings you know, rise up O men of God have done with lesser things this is what we want to live and preach to the dying world Christ in you hope the expectation of glory glorified with him